Welcome here, and uh, welcome to this workshop called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Yes, I do. I was actually just going to ask. So we're handing some out. So who, who's in need of copies? I do have This, basically what I'm handing out is a Cole's Notes version of uh, what I'm going to be going through. So you don't have to look at it right now. There's, uh, there's some group discussion on the back that we'll do, and then there's some also personal reflection questions, more that we'll, I'll leave for you to take home. Um, but I want to I start with a, a personal story that, uh, not, not one that I like to tell, but I think um, really gets to the heart of, of why I'm doing this, and why, why I feel so passionately about the whole realm of this material and, and what we're talking about with emotional health. So um, let's, you know, let's pray first and let's, let's invite the Lord into our time. Jesus, thank you so much that you, you love us so much as people and that you are so committed to us and you are so committed to our growth and our health and transforming us. Jesus, thank you that it really is true that we are called to be new creations in you. And that is something that you are so committed to working in us. And Lord, I pray that as we dive into this material today, Lord, I pray that you would be doing work in us to be transforming us more and more and more into your likeness. Jesus, you are you're committed to that. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we give this time to you. Amen. So a number, a number of years ago, um, but not as long as I would like. And, uh, and when I was already in full-time ministry, my, my wife, Jess, she was coming down the stairs at home when she, she ended up slipping and she ended up putting a huge hole in the wall. And because of instances where I was made to feel horrible for accidents and had not received healing for this as a child, I had brought patterns into our home that were not healthy. And so, not to get too much into it for time, but I, I reacted in anger both to my wife and to our son at the time, being very, very hurtful with my words and my lack of care. And when our son, when he went to bed that night, he couldn't actually understand why I was so angry. And he told my wife, he said, if, if I could only hug dad tightly, things would be better. Later that night, my wife ended up writing me a letter that I, I still have to this day, where she spoke of her deep hurt uh, and she said how I would, I would cherish her with my words, but when it came to this accident that I showed none of that. And she said, when you had a chance to show compassion, you refuse. And my wife also wrote this. She said, I pray that we become closer through this, not further. I pray that you allow Christ to deal fully with this so that it is not a continual battle in our marriage. I kept that letter, and I have it to this day, and it reminds me, when I looked through it and I, I, I walked through it and read it again, it reminds me of my desperate need for Jesus when it comes to emotional healing in my life. I don't think I'm all that alone in those sorts of things because that sort of stuff happens in homes way more than we recognize. But it drove home a massive truth for my life, that, that particular incident, that it is impossible, even if we think it isn't, to separate our emotional health from our spiritual health. We cannot compartmentalize those things. And so, uh, as a summary for this, this session, what we're going to do here, um, what we're basically going to do here is briefly explore some of the material that's produced by Pete Scazzaro uh, around the topic of emotional health and how it 
how it interconnects with our spiritual health as leaders and within our churches. And I also want to say, I want to, as we're going through this, I want to invite response from you. I want to invite questions. So if you want to stop me and you have something that you want to ask, um, by all means, this is, this is meant to be interactive. This is meant to be a time where we share with one another. So the goal is to provide some introductory information, really, that, that serves us to better understand ourselves and others so that we can grow in emotional health and, and how, do we, how to integrate practices into our lives that produce healing and wholeness within us. I think that this whole topic and the whole area of emotional health as it relates to church leaders, how it relates to ministry, how it impacts the church body as a whole is of really, really significant importance right now. Um, and my experience is I've, I've talked to people and I've, I've tried to purposely kind of glean what's happening is that this is largely disregarded in churches. It's not talked about. Or um, we just say, well, you need to go get help. And we don't, we don't talk about it. So um, that's some of my intent in this, is to really draw some of that out. And I, I believe that the whole topic of emotionally healthy spirituality is a tremendous compliment to material like Bondage Breaker by Neil T. Anderson, if any of you, some of us, will be familiar with that, um, or and the Set Free Retreat. I, I see this as sort of a next step, if you will. When people go through Set Free, they still have stuff and that they have to work through. And so it's um, inviting Jesus to continue his work in us that he begins and begin to just keep walking through it. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm really only going to scratch the surface today of this. This is a massive topic. You could spend weeks, and I have spent weeks teaching this. And so um, what I'm going to give you today really is just a sample to taste. Um, I would greatly encourage you pursue this beyond today. Go deeper with it. Take this as sort of a launching and just go deeper into this whole thing in your life. Um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So it's a book by Pete Scazzaro, and it's also a... Um, a, a, a teaching series that he's done, and it's uh, he's got material for home groups around it. Um, on the on the front cover of his book, he uses an iceberg, and it's very intentional. And he's the premise is that what people see in our lives, what we project, how we behave, um, how we present ourselves, is really only about one tenth of what's going on. There's there's about a nine tenths of the, of underneath the surface of what's happening in our lives that people don't see, but it is impacting and determining how, what's going on in the one-tenth uh, on the surface. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so the danger of this, obviously, is presenting a spiritual veneer on the outside while avoiding our interior life. It's, it's spirituality that's a mile long, but it's an inch deep. It just doesn't go anywhere. And it's another to go deep beneath the surface. Things that you know, when things come up under great stress in our lives, the stuff that very few, if anyone, knows about, the stuff in our past, stuff in our, our families of origin, all that stuff, that that's the stuff that Jesus is out to transform. That is the very stuff, when he talks about us being a new creation, about transformation, that is the stuff that he's really out to work in us. And so the goal is that our exterior life corresponds to this deep interior life with Jesus. Now we can understand, all of what I'm going to talk about today, we can understand this intellectually. It's actually, it's rather easy. But it's, it's another thing, it's a totally different thing 
to begin to implement this in our lives. It changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we see God. It changes the way that we follow Jesus. And the way that we live our everyday lives and the way that we make decisions. It changes everything. And so, I feel that this material is just so beneficial for church leaders uh, to sow into our lives and, and to begin to sow into the lives in our church bodies. Um, with the intent to create emotionally healthy people who are growing spiritually and impacting the world with the hope of Jesus. Again, it goes back to, to last night. Are we going to do what we learned last night? And part of this is, are we in a place where we can do that with ourselves? So, I want to touch on five practices that help us grow in emotionally healthy spirituality. So, very briefly, I'm going to touch on these five today and go from there. Seeking self-awareness is first. Then I'm going to talk about dealing with your past. I'm going to talk about overcoming walls in our lives, embracing grief and loss, and growing in emotional maturity. Those are all so those are all in your handouts there, and there's some notes there that we'll go through. So first, seeking self-awareness. Be, being aware of our inner world and how your inner world is affecting your behavior and your interaction, understanding why we feel compelled to do what we do, that's the need for self-awareness in our lives. Like what is going on? And this doesn't this doesn't just happen. It's a result of realizing where we feel inclinations to live with a false self. It comes from intentional self-reflection and time spent listening to Jesus, being in the Word, and hearing what He's saying. So this, this ties directly and applies to our relationship with God. If I don't know myself, if you don't know yourself, how can you give yourself to God if you don't even know what's happening in here? How can I have a healthy relationship with you if I don't know who I am myself? How, how does that happen? And so a limited, what it, what it teaches us is that a limited awareness of myself limits myself with God. It also limits our marriages for those of us who are married. If I'm not sure who I am, how can I give my, myself to a spouse when I don't know who I am? So that, that limits intimacy. That's where people live with all sorts of walls in their marriage. And they don't actually get down to what is happening in my life. So we see this in Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. Inside and outside, they're the same person. They gave themselves relationally to God and to each other perfectly. Then sin enters the world. We see this. And the unity of inside and that outside integration that they had, it's gone. They've compartmentalized. They've compartmentalized sin. Cut. They're cut off from God and they're cut off from inside of themselves and from each other. And so their true authentic self in God is shattered. They put on masks, they're blaming, they're denying, etc., etc. And so that, that begins this construction of the imposter, that, that false self, where we're not living in God's original intention. And we, we too reflect this in ourselves. We're divided within ourselves, we're un, unsure of who we are. We cover ourselves with fig leaves, if you will. It's, it's part of the reality of sin, of how we present false selves all the time. So how, how do you know this is the case? That's the question. How do you know if you are living out of a false self? So I want to, there's a list there on your sheet. See if any of these apply to you. I'm not going to read them all. There's a list there, but I say yes when I really mean no. I get depressed when people are upset with me. I have a need to be approved by others to feel good about myself. 
I often remain silent to keep the peace. There's just, there's a whole list there. That, those are all indicative of where we struggle with false self. If we compare ourselves a lot to other people, and if we know that that's an issue that we have, that's living out of a false self. So these are symptoms that I'm, I'm probably, there's something going on inside of me, I'm living out of a false self rather than out of my authentic self in God. I'm, so seeking to grow in self-awareness so that you may grow in following God and loving God is really, really, really crucial for your emotional health. All right, that's the first one. Second one is dealing with your past. So this is, this is where the material can kind of come right alongside the principles of set free. How, how many of you are aware of the set free retreat? How many of you have ever gone through a set free retreat, if I can ask that? Okay, so a few of us. Um, set free is a retreat that basically uh, goes through a bunch of stuff to help us deal with our past, to help um, cut off generational sin, to cut off things in our lives that are keeping us back from living who, who we're called to be in Christ. So I'm not going to go into that, but it's, it's inviting us to go deeper into a journey of walking in freedom from past patterns that are destructive in our lives. And so the need to deal with our past, it's built, it's based on a biblical truth that the blessings and the sins of families can go back actually to three and four generations, profoundly impacting who you are today. So that means your family, in a biblical sense, the family of origin that you come from, includes all your family going back into the 1800s. So things that you don't even know that your family members have been involved in. That's, that's generational sin. And so we're affected by many events circumstances during our earthly lives and yet our family groups are the most powerful group that you will ever belong to but we're, we're created in god's image to engage in healthy family as babies and children growing up experiencing love we all come into the world with a hunger to have deep stable loving relationships do you agree with that mm-hmm. that's that's what we want and so a lot of a lot of work uh, has been done in this uh, in the field of childhood development. And it's been said that we're, we're pre-wired for, by God for five basic needs of development. These are in your handout there. So, place of belonging. I belong. Where parents were excited and waiting for my arrival. We were meant to have that. We're meant to have a need for nurture. Words and gestures of appreciation. Being touched and nurtured with love. We have a need for support. Loving. A loving and caring environment. Protection. In a perfect world, parents protect you from what you can't do for yourself and we have a need for limits for boundaries right where people people that grow up without boundaries and limits they have all sorts of issues promiscuity addiction narcissism there's just all sorts of damage that comes when limits aren't in place so ideally in a perfect world where god wired us to receive these sorts of things from our biological fathers and mothers but th- there's that that happens but we know Genesis 3, sin enters the world and our first parents rebelled and now families, they're broken and they're distorted. And we see that brokenness all over our society. And so now we find in families, because of this sin, we have destructive criticism, we have abusive authority, we have lying, we have secrets, we have 
emotional withholding, broken promises, intimidation, blaming, pressure tactics, shaming, put-downs. Even in the best of families, there's, there's sin and there's brokenness. None of us emerge unscathed from this in our lives. We all walk through this, where our true self is damaged and there's wounds and there's scars that we carry. So this, this is all of us, to varying levels, right? And we can all, as I say some of those sort of themes, you're probably going, yeah, I experienced that. Yeah, I experienced that. I can identify with that. There's just, there's so much of that. But now we're in the family of God. So this is the good. You are now in the family of God. And so, but we come into the family of Jesus and you're bringing into this family unprocessed material. So we have certain things lodged in us according to the way that we've been brought up. It's like a blueprint that you have imprinted on you from the time that you were a little child. And so how you do relationships, how we feel about feelings, how we feel about our self-worth, how we see the world around us, all of that has been shaped by this. And so that that picture of the iceberg that I mentioned shows the one-tenth that's going on above the surface. But the majority of stuff is going on underneath and how you were shaped. And so we talked about it in our individual lives, but it actually also applies in great measure to our families. And underneath, what's underneath if not dealt with is really, really dangerous. Because just think about the, the, uh, the story of the Titanic. What happened? That boat's going along and they did not realize the depth of that iceberg that was underneath and the damage that it could do. They thought it was nothing. So and the same is true when it comes to us and our freedom in Jesus. It matters what happens in our families. It matters what's going on underneath the surface and how it affected us. And so being willing to deal with our past and, and it's a continual work of renewal that's ongoing. It's, it's a continual work that Jesus does in us. He brings up stuff. We receive healing. We walk, we walk on. It's imperative for growing emotionally. All right, third, I want to talk about uh, overcoming walls in our lives. Our, our journey with Jesus is one of stages. So first stage, you come, you have a life-changing awareness of God. You become a Christian, you meet Christ, you realize the depth of your sinfulness, you receive God's mercy, and you're walking in that. And hopefully then, you begin to learn and grow. And you're walking in this, you're pursuing discipleship with others, you're, you're pursuing formation to the ways of Jesus, you begin to read the Bible, you're having fellowship with people, you enter into baptism, you're working on being a disciple of Jesus, that's, that's all second stage. Third stage then, you begin to actively serve, you're using your gifts, you're working for God, you're building something that's becoming a blessing to others. But at some point in that journey, you hit a wall. There's walls in our lives that we hit. The wall is the most difficult transition because the choice is, am I going to journey inward to what God has for me in this, or am I not? And so many people, they never get through the wall. There's a wall that hits in their lives, and they get stuck there. We take it for what it is. We set up camp in our lives, so to speak, and we resign ourselves that this is the way life is going to be. It could be something in a marriage, could be something in your wider family, and you just, you hunker down, this is who I am. I can't change. This is my lot in life. And Jesus says, no. That's, you're meant to journey and see what he has for you in that. And so, in some ways, 
you know, in, in these stages, when we come to a wall, we want to we wanna be able to get through this wall. And it's crucial for this journey inward. And so as we do this, our outward life and our serving begins to flow out of this deep inner life with Jesus, this work of renewal that's happening. And here's the thing. You don't come to just one wall in your life. There's multiple walls that you will hit in your life that things, things happen. Things that, that are unexpected happen. And God brings these walls actually into our lives so that we will make a decision. Will I give up or will I go deeper into where Jesus wants me to go? All right, I'm just uh, looking at time here. So, how, how do I know if I'm at a wall? How do you know if you're at a wall? Here's some indications because undoubtedly some of us are either at a wall or we've come to walls in our lives. So it appears through a crisis that comes into our lives. It may be through a marriage crisis, a betrayal, a job loss. It can be through the death of someone close, a cancer diagnosis, a church experience that just leaves you disillusioned, or a depression, a mistake made, a dream that's been shattered, a child that's gone astray, or an inability to get pregnant, or miscarriages, or a deep desire to, re- to be married that remains unfulfilled. This is the kind of stuff people hit these walls in their lives. Long dryness with the Lord that results in a loss of joy. And we're, we're wondering, where, where is God in all this? At the wall, we question God. We question ourselves. We question the church. We question everyone that calls themselves Christians. And we've got more questions than answers. And, and you might feel when, you, when this happens, the very foundation of lives are being rocked and shaken. We don't, we don't know what God's doing. We don't know where he is. And when will we get past this? And, and will we ever? Th- those are the sorts of questions that people ask when they hit walls in their lives. And so when we speak of coming to these walls, it's a really important distinction for us that we need to understand. We don't live out of our pasts. We live from the future and from what God has already accomplished in Christ for us. That's a really important truth to live out of. But... If we don't deal with our past, we cannot experience the freedom of Christ in the present. We have to be willing to go back and deal with that stuff. So, yeah, I'll move on. Fourth, I want to talk about um, enlarging your soul or embracing grief and loss. So all of life is about loss. One, one day we will actually lose everything. We lose it slowly through life. So we, I don't think, we don't look at life like this, but life is about loss. We lose all of our achievements eventually. We lose all of our health. All of our relationships eventually are lost. We die having to let go of everything. When you die, everything is gone. So if you've ever been in the room of someone who's passed away in that moment when they go from life into eternity... It's a profound moment. It is really, really profound. And you see that in those moments, everything is gone. There's one thing that matters in that moment. But all throughout our lives, we experience, we experience loss in many different forms. And so this, this reality of loss and grief is critical to discipleship and being a follower of Christ. How do we grow into spiritual maturity through this because without this peace it's actually impossible to grow into true maturity it leads into to wholeness and richness into a depth that we don't get any other way a depth that we actually didn't even know was possible 
We can look to Jesus to see how he handled grief and loss while he was on this earth. He's the ultimate example. Matthew 26, it, uh, we see that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is <clears throat> sorrowful to the point of death. He's actually depressed. That's what that verse means. Or Jesus is actually battling that. So if you've ever thought that all of depression is sin, that verse alone debunks that idea completely. Jesus was walking in that. That, that word there where it says that he was sorrowful, it, it can also mean horror came over him. Luke uses the word there, anguish. And so Jesus says there, my, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Hebrews follows this up and it says in Hebrews 5, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Isaiah said of Jesus that he was a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. We have a Savior, we have a Lord who knows the depths of suffering in life. It's really, really important to grab hold of that for ourselves and for people. So, what happens though is that Jesus there, he pleads three times with the Father for another way. And really what we see there is like so much for the health, wealth, and victory gospel. It actually doesn't exist. It's not always possible to have bad things removed in life. There's things that people walk through that are really, really bad. But Jesus does get up. He does go forward. There is a resurrection. But he models in this passage how to be a human being, how to move through life in our humanity. So how, how do you enlarge your soul through grief and loss? That's, that's really the question here. How does that happen? So first is listening to the interruption of grief and loss. Because our culture has no idea to do how to do this. None. Our culture will avoid all of this stuff like the plague. We bury it or we treat it with all sorts of various addictions. And we just we do not want to engage with grief and loss. We just want to somehow ignore it. We don't even want to talk about death in society. It's just not talked about. And so to see the example of Jesus and his, his patient persistence amidst such agonizing loss and grief, it, just, it reveals how we can respond to the interruptions of loss in our lives. So instead of ignoring them, instead of stuffing them down, instead of running to all sorts of distractions to avoid dealing with this ache in our souls, we run to Jesus, we run to the Father who can give us the healing that only, only he can give us. So the power of our faith is in the resurrection. It's really important to, to walk in that. And God offers us new birth as we, we die to our flesh. And we experience in that, as we die to self, we experience the resurrection power of Jesus. But first, before that, comes death, comes burial. We have to walk through that in our lives. All right, lastly, just want to quickly touch on growing in emotional maturity. So emotionally healthy spirituality is bringing our spiritual and emotional lives together. It's, it's, it's fusing the two together and saying that Jesus calls us to wholeness, to a spirituality that isn't disconnected, but rather a spirituality where my love for God, my, what I'm claiming is my love for God and my love for people are inseparable. 
that there isn't a difference there. Where I, I claim all sorts of spiritual gifts and all sorts of spiritual experiences, but I am not connecting that to emotional health and to the way that I treat people or the way that I live with my family. That gets to a really real level quickly. So emotional maturity is the key link for us between unhealthy or healthy spirituality. And, and so this is the, the link where between a spirituality that can be marked by pretense and hypocrisy. And we see this in the church. We see this where there is pretense and hypocrisy in the lives of people and there's a disconnect going on. Or a spirituality that's marked by genuineness and brokenness, humility, transparency, being willing to be real. This is where I'm at. I, I don't like to tell that story that I began with. I, I'm exposing myself. I'm going, the Paul that everyone would see on a Sunday is not, that's not all of Paul, right? And how do you not have a disconnect where the Paul at home is different from the Paul on stage or the Paul that people see in, in the public eye? That's, that's, that's massively important in our lives, how that connects. So, two myths that we, we carry with us, and this is really important for us to, that I, I put it in the handout. The question is, uh, or sorry, yeah, so the two myths, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't even have it, so I, I'll just leave it with you to look at there. But the, yeah, so the two myths, I'll actually, I'll, I'll just mention this, because these are really important. When I become a Christian, and Christ comes to live inside me, growing into an emotionally mature adult is natural. How many of us think that maybe at some point we have actually kind of thought that? That growing into an emotionally mature adult is just sort of, natural it's part of the progression of life that as we as we mature physically emotionally we go that comes alongside have you ever have you ever thought that and that's a myth because you can have people who are 60 70 80 years old emotionally they are a teenager they have never ever dealt with stuff in their lives and they're they look like a full physically mature grown adult they're operating like a child in situations so and when you begin to see that with people, you go, oh, okay, that's what's happening. Second myth, Christians' ability to love those around them is qualitatively different than those outside the church. We, we would hope so, right? That we, we love so much better in the church. Like we just think we are so much better at loving than the rest of the world. Really? Because sociologists who've done studies on this have found that that, that that difference that we think is just vast, it's not. It's minute. You look at marriages, and marriages are hardly different in the world and in the church. When you, when you begin to peel back the layers, there's not much difference. So it goes back to last night, right? Again, it's having a love for people. Having, not having this disconnected in our lives. So... The question is this, what does it mean for us to grow into an emotionally mature adult? What does it mean for you? And there's two keys I want to just highlight here. It requires becoming aware of your family of origin's capacity for emotional connection. So asking yourself, how emotionally secure was my environment as a child and growing up? What was modeled for me? What did I see? What were the patterns that I learned? And have I gone back and assessed that and have I seen where there's things that I need to heal from? 
really, really important. Again, it's all about dealing with your past. Second, to, the second key is it requires practical steps of discipleship to grow into an emotionally mature adult. We have to be intentional in pursuing discipleship and accountability in our lives. That people who know us know what's going on, we're transparent, we're vulnerable, we're sharing what's happening. You have someone that you can confide in and go, I'm, I'm really dealing with this right now in my life. I need help. I need prayer. It's being open and not continuing to walk in a facade with a mask. People think that you're great. You're doing great. How are you? I'm great. How are, I'm doing fantastic. How are you really doing? What's really going on? That's the kind of stuff. That's how we go deeper with Jesus. So the key thing is this. Being in Christ doesn't automatically make you an emotionally mature adult. Just because you are in Christ doesn't mean that you are automatically snap your fingers, I'm a new creation in Christ, hallelujah, I'm, I'm done. No. Sanctification is a process. Becoming a new creation is a process. Walking in emotional health is a process. I'm standing up here, I'm doing all this, I do not have it figured out. Talk to my wife if you don't believe me. Talk to my kids if you don't believe me. I am still, so I, I am not doing this out of, I've arrived. I'm doing this out of, this has deeply impacted my life. It is deeply changing who I am. And I, I want us to grow in this as churches.